You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, my name is Blake, and I have just a quick note before we get started. Actually, it's more like a recommendation because this podcast is an immersive audio fantasy, and what you're about to hear is best experienced with headphones on, imagination on, and everything else turned off. Welcome to Abandoned, the All-American Ruins podcast. North of the city on the way to Bear Mountain is a lovely looking place called the Letchworth Village Rehabilitation Center. Set among the hills and woods of suburban Rockland County, a passerby could easily mistake the place for a country club or a college campus. But the early morning mist gave the place an eerie feeling like a set from a horror movie. And once inside, that feeling became suddenly appropriate. Cedar Springs was often the butt of a joke. If you misbehaved or acted out, your parents might threaten in jest. Keep it up, and we're going to put you in Cedar Springs. My childhood in Colorado crossed the late 90s into the early 2000s, well before mental health awareness became a national discussion. I struggled in a silo with my own undiagnosed mental illness. If mental health was ever discussed, it was done in hushed tones. Growing up, my family often tried to play the game of keeping up appearances, until my parents got divorced and we stopped caring about anything picture-perfect. I felt trepidation when it came to expressing my strange bouts of unforeseen mental and emotional episodes to my parents. They weren't unavailable or aloof. In fact, my parents have always rushed to my aid whenever I'm in a crisis. But back then, I didn't know how to communicate my internal battles. My typically sunny disposition could become clouded out of nowhere, a possession of sorts. I'd say it started in 2002, during puberty. Maybe a little bit before. I began to navigate the day-to-day, barely as rounds of dark and dangerous thoughts fired off in my head, bullet after bullet popping off without warning, insidious ammunition lighting up the sky until it became blue again, usually after a couple of days. I think I knew, at least subconsciously, that my parents were aware of my rapidly mounting mental illness, but that didn't make it easier to talk about. Naturally, this shifted with age, and by the time I was in college, I was far more capable of opening up to my parents about what was going on with me. Still, I kept a lot of things to myself. Secrets. I dipped my toe into therapy a few times, even once successfully keeping the same therapist for about two years, but the throes of addiction prevented me from ever seeking sustainable help. It wasn't until my mid-twenties when I admitted powerlessness over my addictions. And even after getting sober, it took me almost seven years to finally come to terms with the fact that something was off in my brain. I no longer had to feel ashamed of and started to talk about my mental health openly, actively seeking treatment. I didn't have to worry that I'd hear some asshole mutter, I heard that guy lives at Cedar Springs. I got a psychiatrist and opened up to the possibility of medication. It took 18 years, but in 2020, I was finally able to start healing. It was no longer an option to ignore the truth. 
We're fortunate to live in an era when the global consciousness is awakening to the grim reality of the international mental health crisis. Part of my own healing journey has been learning that I'm not alone, that millions of people also have to traverse the daily struggles of complicated emotional and mental landscapes. The history of mental health, especially the past 100 years, is fascinating and layered. As the concept of mental health has evolved, so has the science. No longer are the days of inhumane psychiatric institutions. While every town has a Cedar Springs, which by now I imagine you know is a psychiatric institution, many of them have been closed down completely, only the shells of buildings remaining, serving as reminders of the horrors of the past and how far we've come. Back in the spring of 2020, when I reconnected to a lifelong fascination with all American ruins and started to research potential spaces to visit, at the top of my list was the hope of finding an abandoned asylum. Imagine my surprise, then, when several results populated within a 100-mile radius of my home. Many of the ones still standing seemed appealing. Kings Park on Long Island, Willowbrook on Staten Island, Middletown State Homeopathic Hospital in Middletown, but over the course of my research, there was one particular abandoned psychiatric institution that I kept coming back to. The incline is long. As I pull into the parking lot, I'm instantly confused. There are only two abandoned structures, both boarded up. I look down at Google Maps and wonder if I'm in the right place. I study the map and immediately realize my mistake. I see several buildings in the distance, all located on one giant circular driveway, looping around about half a mile of land. I quickly realized that Letchworth Village has been converted into a public park. Many of the buildings are locked, some poorly fenced off, others wide open, but not a single no trespassing sign in sight. I walk the perimeter by a church, which is active, and wonder if I'll be able to get inside any of the buildings. I wrap around the first building on my left, which appears to be a dormitory of some sort, I think. As I round the corner, a magic spark passes through my skull, creating a tidal wave of electricity that ripples across the park. My imagination kicks into overdrive, and I'm back in time. I've landed somewhere in the 1970s. The massive sprawl of Letchworth Village is crawling with patience, spirits wandering about the property aimlessly. Nowhere to really go. We're inside we have housed the children of many of our citizens who are subjected to the what appears to be the worst possible conditions I've ever seen in my life. Letchworth Village operated from 1911 to 1996. In its heyday, it boasted over 130 buildings, its own functioning town, with decades of reputation revolving around rumors of unsanitary, abusive, and dangerously overcrowded conditions. 
together with the infamous Willowbrook State School. Letchworth Village entered the national spotlight in 1972 after Geraldo Rivera produced a segment about the reprehensible state of affairs at both institutions. What we need is a new approach. We have to change the way we care for our mentally retarded. We ask for change. We demand change. What you've seen here just doesn't have to be this way. Bobby Kennedy had already sparked a public crusade against Willowbrook in 1966, notoriously comparing the conditions at the institution to a snake pit. I visited the state institution for the mentally retarded, and I think that we have a situation that borders on a snake pit, that the children live in filth. But public pressure only mounted substantially after the WABC broadcast of Rivera's Peabody Award-winning piece. Sadly, reports of abuse and neglect dated back to the early 1920s. And by the time Rivera produced the segment, it was too late. Over the next 20 years, the juggernaut of Letchworth Village tried mightily to come back from the controversy. But in 1996, it closed completely. Dozens of buildings on the property were vacated, leaving all sorts of remnants and memories locked inside. It's sunny and cold, a few days after Christmas. The afternoon sky soothes my skin, reflecting my own sense of personal freedom. As the pandemic has entered its third deadly wave, once again I've safely put on my explorer's hat and time-traveled down to Thiel's New York, where the crumbling Letchworth village still remains. It's how I've been dealing with the isolation of the pandemic, driving all over the country to play pretend in abandoned spaces. I scale a busted chain-link fence on the backside of a headquarters of some sort. Through broken windows, I can see clumsily hung Christmas and Hanukkah decorations. I enter a back door that says, Free Candy. And just when I think I've got the entire place to myself, passing the threshold into the decaying structure... A voice whispers in my ear. It's all for show. What the fuck? I scream and run down an empty hallway, landing behind a wall. Catch my breath for a moment, then slowly peek out to see a young man in his late 20s, early 30s, staring back at me, about 50 paces away. We gawk at each other for a moment. Then I hear him say, as if he's right next to me. Don't worry, I won't bite you. Yet. Then he winks. My stomach turns right side up again. I begin a slow approach back, inching closer and closer, and start to question him. Who are you? What are you doing here? I should ask you the same question. He claps back with a laugh. I'm within a few feet of his short, or the exact same height, pale body when he extends his hand. Exactly as I said. It's all for show. Geraldo Rivera will be here in an hour, and they're worried. He points to the holiday decorations. Those haven't been up all season. Christmas was three days ago. They tacked those up this morning. Staring at the shoddy lights and mistletoe, I realize, indeed, it's 1972, and I'm here on the day Rivera and his film crew have come to expose the village. I'm Carl. Blake. Want a tour? (laughs) 
You have time? <laughs> Buddy, that's all we got here. Come on. He starts down a dark hallway. Better turn on that uh, little light of yours. You're gonna need it. I look down and see I'm carrying a clunky old flashlight. I flick the switch and follow Carl. We pass exam rooms, some of which still contain ancient equipment. I go to ask what the machines do, but Carl beats me to it like he's reading my mind. Don't ask, because I don't know. Large shelves covered in art supplies gather dust, lining the walls in a few of the rooms. Ice clings to the ceiling in most of them, the sound of dripping water igniting an eerie sensation that travels down my spine. I'm glad I have a new friend to show me around. Friend, huh? We walk into one of the larger rooms, and I notice that it's packed to the brim with afternoon light. I run my hands along the brick walls. The construction quality is pitch perfect. Not like anything you'd see nowadays. Shoddy, incomplete, cheap, lackluster assembly. Hey, are we going to get in trouble? No. Look at you. I look down at my chest. I am decked out head to toe in a patient uniform, a simple cream-colored gown and trousers. I look like Carl. See? You're fine. They don't even know who half of us are anyway. I glance back down at my outfit and run my palm over the coarse material. It doesn't feel very good. We proceed to a small bathroom at the back of the room. It's big enough for one person. Why are there two doors? If the patients revolt, that way the attending doctors and nurses will have somewhere to run. The sink is tiny. I go to wash my hands, but the faucet is frozen. Don't bother. Half the plumbing here doesn't work. Carl motions for me to follow him out of the bathroom and down another dark hallway. We pass a staircase. Can we go up? If you want to get caught and wind up here forever. We enter a larger bathroom at the end of the hallway. The only sink is in the back corner, but it's fallen off the wall. Theo had a meltdown. I glance at tilted graffiti of a king of spades on the wall. What happened to Theo? Nobody knows. We continue down the hall. I go to take a sip of water from a nearby drinking fountain, but Carl grabs my arm. Don't. You don't know whose mouth is sloshed all over that thing. He brings me into an old office, and I see a lamp on the large metal desk that's wedged between two brick walls. I approach with caution and see a case file open on the desk. While Carl begins to rummage through a filing cabinet, I turn on the lamp and look at the case file. It's Carl's. I stare down at the page, touching the paper softly. Scribbled on the case file are two sections. Primary affective disorder, under which, just one word, depression, is written. And secondary affective disorder, which has a whole slew of other words underneath it. Anxiety neurosis, antisocial personality disorder, alcoholism. I go to turn the page, but Carl's hand grabs mine and yanks it away. None of that's accurate. It's 1972. <laughs> if it was 2020, that paper would only say one thing. Cyclothymic personality disorder. Just like you. Just like me. I'm confused and cock my head at Carl, 
as he takes my hand and leads me out of the building. The hell is he talking about? It won't be until months later that I understand what he means when my psychiatrist confidently assigns a diagnosis, cyclothymic personality disorder. But you can learn more about that in episode 7. Carl isn't so lucky. I'm stuck here because nobody knows what to do with me. I'm working hard to show them I'm better. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before I can leave. His words trail off as we exit the back of the building. I hear sadness in his voice as my eyes come upon a mountain of gravel and a small red chair pushed up against the building. I stop and look back and forth between the two. What are you thinking? Come here a sec. Why? He's unsure. I walk over to the red chair, grab it, and begin to climb the gravel hill. I asked you a question. I plop the chair on the top of the mound, because I want a portrait of the king of Letchworth Village. Carl stares at me for a moment before a small grin forms on his face. The king of Letchworth Village. I like the sound of that. Without instruction or hesitation, Carl climbs the hill and sits down on the chair. Three, two, one, click. I stare at the image. It's fine, but I'm determined to get a better shot. Carl looks at the image and seems very pleased. I look so... regal. (laughs) The king of Letchworth Village. Sunset is at 4.33pm, the perfect time to take a better portrait, so I make sure to keep my eye on the clock. Hungry? Carl grabs my hand as we head to the next building, past a loading dock where I notice a yellow plastic chair parked up against a wall. A perfect portrait place. Carl, just make sure we come back here. Mm-hmm. We duck under a dented door that has hell spray-painted on it. Why hell? You'll see. Once we're inside, I immediately cover my nose. It smells like an elementary school mess hall. The scent of highly processed foods reheating in large batches by industrial-grade microwaves slopped onto cheap trays down an assembly line of malnourishment. We're in the cafeteria. I spot an exit sign at the back of the joint, taking stock of the tacky pink and gray curtains that line several of the windows and shield the room from natural light. The irritating sound of forks fills my ears. I want to get the hell out of... Hell. We can go. I just thought you might want a taste of life on the inside. (laughs) We exit through the front door and hop down a few steps to a walkway leading up to another dormitory. That's where I live. Carl points as we climb, holding onto a long metal handrail. We walk past old benches and a basketball court. I hear balls being lazily dribbled by orderlies on their break. We reach the dormitory and sneak in. I'm faced with a lengthy makeshift hallway, created by using the backsides of cheap furniture that sits in each room. Each room is occupied by two patients and nobody has any privacy. 
They like to keep a close watch on us while we sleep. Make sure nobody gets up to any funny business. We tiptoe into Carl's room. He has a Z100 sticker pasted on his blue closet door, which sends a shockwave through my fantasy because Z100 didn't come on the airwaves until the early 80s. That's 100.3 FM. 100.3 megahertz. Carl acknowledges my confusion. You think you're the only one who's been here? Of course not. I know I'm not the first person to come here, and I know I won't be the last. This is WHTZ. We leave his room and pass by a washing machine that's been tipped over. My old roommate, Joel, he didn't want to transfer to the big house and uh, put up a fight. The big house. I go to ask but realize I don't need to. Seems like the big house scares Carl. We poke our heads into a small kitchen. One wall is covered by lockers. I hear a faint siren in the distance as I look down and see Joel's empty locker. His name tag still intact. I touch it gently and feel his heartbeat through the cool metal and paper adhesive. Pulse. 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 Steady. Steady. Eerily centered. I allow it to steady and center me, too. We meander deeper into the building and pass under a portico into a large white room right in the middle of the dormitory. It's a joint that connects all of the rooms in this stately place. Paint peels off the ceiling like the final days of a sunburn. I look up at a gorgeous, ornate, octagonal skylight hovering over us. This is my favorite place in the entire village. I always know that I can come here and get a little bit of private light. I know that feeling. That's why I come to places like this. A little bit of private light. We stand there and stare up at the dusty window panes. I hear a plane sputter up above somewhere deep in the corner of the sky. We leave the dormitory and continue through a field towards a unique stone building some 200 paces away. En route, we pass by a giant structure in the distance, the biggest one I've seen yet. Four stories, foreboding. I feel anxiety mount up my spine and my nervous system growls. The big house. I say nothing. We reach the stone building, and it's a synagogue. I'm not religious, but I come here to uh, meditate. It's the only place with guaranteed quiet. I realize it's nearing sunset. I grab Carl's hand and pull him along quickly. Come on. What for? We hurry across the campus, back to the yellow chair. I instruct him to sit. Again? Just do it. He does. The streamlines of jets flying overhead seem to shoot out of the setting sun. 
I take stock of my landscape and clock the word shelter painted on the side of the building with an arrow that seems to be pointing directly at Carl. Light bursts across a brilliant, dark periwinkle sky. I center Carl in the frame, sitting there, so full of life, so comfortable in his own skin. I admire him, his disposition. Three, two, one, click, (laughs) and Carl vanishes. (laughs) I look up. Carl? Carl! I look around. All of the ghosts have evaporated into thin air. But I didn't get to say goodbye. I stutter, holding back tears. Carl? The silence of winter swirls around me. A train moans in the distance. The sun continues to settle behind the horizon. I set up my camera one last time to fly to see if I can find Carl ascending the madness of my own struggle with mental illness. I offer gratitude that my war with mental health has never been compounded by cruel humor, the butt of jokes, a Cedar Springs punchline, an archaic, lifeless existence at Letchworth Village, forgotten and alone. Just Just like like you. you. Carl's voice echoes in my mind as I smile and prepare to jump. Just Just like like you. you. I feel seen, less isolated, less afraid. Carl, the king of Letchworth Village, showed me that today. Just like you. I jump. Click. If you're just tuning in for the first time, then welcome to the first season of Abandoned, the All-American Ruins podcast. Join me every other week as I take you on an immersive sonic journey, recounting my expeditions of abandoned spaces across the United States, which I then transform into fantastical audio experiences that allow you, dear listener, to dive into my imagination with me, or maybe inspire you to go out and use your own. Next time, something a little bit different. We're headed to another abandoned psychiatric facility, Kings Park on Long Island, but this time with a friend, Jimmy Buff, the executive director of Radio Kingston, where I make this podcast. If you don't want to miss it, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could do me a huge favor and please rate and review this first season so I can keep feeling the fantasy with you. And also, please share it with your family and friends, and maybe even someone you really don't like. They could probably use a little bit of joy. Also, if you like to read or enjoy amateur photography, you can catch up on more of my adventures at allamericanruins.com or follow me on Instagram at allamericanruins. Abandoned, the All American Ruins podcast is hosted, written, edited, and produced by me, Blake File with Studio Space, courtesy of Radio Kingston, WKNY, AM 1490, FM 1079 in Kingston, New York. Special thanks to Ida Hakala, Jimmy Buff, and Manuel Bloss for the mentorship and encouragement 
to you, the listener, for taking the time to explore these abandoned spaces with me, and to Carl, my new friend, the king of Letchworth Village. I'm Mark, a podcaster and a fan of Abandoned. I write a weekly email newsletter called The Big Minute, dedicated to discovering what good sounds like, one minute at a time. Every Sunday, I dive deep into a single minute of podcast audio from a recent episode. To hear what I had to say about this episode of Abandoned and go behind the scenes with Blake, head to thebigminute.com. Thanks.